Welcome to WebRush, the weekly talk show that brings you stories of real-world development from industry experts and developers like you and me. Each week, Ward Bell, Dan Walleen, Craig Shoemaker, and John Papa find out what it takes to write, deploy, and maintain apps that stand up to the demands of the real world. And now, here are your hosts. Well, hello and welcome back to WebRush. This is Craig Shoemaker. And strangely enough, I'm not alone, but I don't have any of the other co-hosts with me today. But that's okay because I have Eviatar Alouj with me and we're going to be talking about JavaScript proxies. So if you're not familiar with Eviatar, he's a front-end engineer over at Meta and an open source enthusiast. He's the author of the VEST Validations Framework and loves everything about API design and developer experience. When he's not coding, you can find him at meetups and conferences or contributing to various open source projects. Evitar, thanks so much for joining us back here again on the show. Hey, hey, thank you for having me again. Um, <laughs> <laughs> Is this three or four appearances you No, have? it's a third time the charm. All right, nice. Mm-hmm. Well, we're going to have to have three more just so that we keep it in a set of trilogies. Yep. Just to, to yeah, keep it definitely. Going yeah, I love this trilogy. <laughs> <laughs> So we're talking about JavaScript proxies, and this is not a topic that comes up on, I would say, a regular basis. So I'm curious, like, what's your background in this area? And also for people who maybe aren't that familiar with them, can you kind of you know, lay the groundwork and define what they are? First, before answering your question, I'll probably talk a bit about what is a JavaScript proxy, and then we'll talk about why uh, you probably don't hear about them very often. And a JavaScript proxy is a built-in in JavaScript, is a global object in JavaScript that got added in ECMAScript 2015. So 2015. And what it allows you to do is to intercept random calls to properties and objects. And you have like set of different traps you can add. And this allows you to either use your own custom, uh, custom implementation for these properties or like override it completely and then call uh, the original implementation or block them and avoid using them uh, like at all. And you wouldn't hear much about JavaScript proxies because even though it got added in 2015, uh, they were only recently became available for the public by libraries and tools and utilities because unlike many of the ES 2015 features, uh, that got added like years ago, proxies cannot be polyfilled, like not easily, not simply, and not at all really. And since we have browsers like Internet Explorer that does not support um, that does not support proxies natively, we couldn't use them up until now where, where, where um, Internet Explorer is going away. And the reason proxies cannot be polyfilled is that it requires some internal engine assistance. Like it uses functionality that is not supported by the browser itself, by the engine, and it cannot be mocked. Now, yes, um, there is a project um, in the Google Chrome organization called Proxy Polyfill. I even contributed it to it uh, in 2018 uh, by uh, a guy called, Se- uh, called Sam Torgood. And this project allows you to do some of the, pro- of the proxy capabilities. Like it allows you to add your custom behavior to an object, but it, it does not allow you to do what the what proxy is really special for, which is randomly accessing properties of an object 
or uh, modifying properties of an object, even if these properties do not exist. So, for example, if I end up Oh, well, so, well, I just I just want to take a step back. Okay, so when you think about the word in and of itself, proxy, that's something that stands in for something else, right? And so mm-hmm. you're saying that it randomly affects a an object's property. So, like in in a sentence or two, what would be the use case that someone or perhaps a a library developer might use this for? Usually what you want to do is add custom behavior to normal properties of an object and not randomly, but to random properties. So if you want to override the functionality or behavior of, for example, a get or a set of an object. So for example, I want to do a property access and get the value. I can run some function um, while getting the property. Or if I want to set the property like um, object.foo equals bar, and I want to I don't know, either prevent them from doing that or just log it to the server or make some other modification, like set something completely different, I can do that with a proxy. Now, the proxy object and the proxy specification defines like a set of many traps. Each of these functions that I can modify is called a trap. So I have a get trap and a set trap and an apply trap. These are the most common ones. Um, And apply is for uh, invoking the function you can also set an, a proxy onto a function, but you have a few more, like modifying the in, uh, like modifying uh, own keys, like when you call object.keys or stuff like that. So you can pretty much for every interaction we, you have with an object, you can override it and implement your custom behavior. Now, there are many, many use cases for it, and there are many tools that actually, many libraries that you probably even heard of or used that use proxy for a variety of reasons. Okay, and so, like, give me two that come to mind. Like, I'm, I'm trying. I want to help make clear the why as we're talking about the how. Yeah. So I'll I'll go with a simple explanation. So, for example, I have an object um, of data, and I just want to make sure that every time this object is being touched, I log it to the server. Why? Because um, I want to. Uh, it's a sensitive object. I want to know if somebody's poking at it. I want to know if. So what I can do is, in place of that object, just set a proxy object. Now, uh, to the code, it will be um, just the same as the object itself. Um, it, it's a stand-in. Um, that's why it's called a proxy. And it has all the capabilities of the original object. Apart from the fact that we can also set traps for every interaction with that object and then, for example, log to the server. Uh, these interactions and these values. So, John, one of the things I like about AG Grid, which is a, a data grid component for the kind of complex uh, grid scenarios that we encounter all the time in enterprise apps, one of the things I really like about it is that it works for a variety of frameworks Angular, React, Vue, or, or just vanilla JS. Does that ring a bell for you? Oh, it really does. There's all these different companies that I work with where they have. No choice but to use a lot of these different tools because they have different teams working on them. So being able to port their code or share that code and that technical investment they have is really important to them. Yeah, well, it's important to us, uh, ideally, we're a consulting company. And, you know, we never know what our client's going to want to use, Angular, React, Vue. But they're all going to need a grid. And it's great to be able to reach for uh, the one grid that works everywhere, AG Grid. You know, at any size company, too, because you could have these teams that maybe they only use one framework, but... 
eventually they're going to switch to another one and be able to take that investment again and use it, reuse it is really nice. So if a multi-framework data grid makes sense to you, please go check out AG Grid at ag-grid.com. So you deploy these these proxies, uh, I would imagine, as a library or, or some sort of um, import that you have through your code. How are those proxies delivered? Like, how do they get to the point to where they're standing in place of the original object? Yeah, so each library and each tool uses it differently, but you would have to actually use it instead of that object you're proxying. So that prox- okay. that object is, a, is the internal. You use it like you store it somewhere, uh, you do not uh, expose it, and this proxy is a standing. For now on, uh, from now on, it is being used at, at, as that object. And you do not give anyone access to that previous object that you're proxying, unless you want to, of course. Gotcha. Okay. So I could see there being like factory functions or methods or whatever to where, you know, you can go in and say, okay, anytime someone asks for XYZ object, I'm just going to return out the proxy. And then you're doing it deterministically that way. Yeah, that's, that's a, there's a one good example for it. For example, you could say view. Um, Vue.js uses, as, since version three, uh, uses proxies for their reactivity engine. And what they do is they give you their reactive and the ref uh, functions, and you give these functions your object, but they give you back a proxy. Gotcha. Uh, so yeah, some sort of a factory function. Gotcha. Okay, cool. All right, so so we've got an idea of, of what it is and and uh, so, sort of some UK use cases of, of how people might use them. Uh, how did you get into them? Yeah, so I'm working on um, VEST validation framework. I started working on VEST in 2017. And VEST is a form validation library that's mimicking the uh, behavior and the style of unit test libraries, so Mocha and Jest. Now, previously in our previous episodes, we talked about the overall interface of VEST, but in Vest, there's also an assertion library. Like we have in Mocha or Jest, we have expect or assert. Uh, in Vest, we have enforce. That mimics a similar syntax, but it works more similarly to what you would expect from a validation library. Now, I had a few ideas in mind to how this uh, assertion library might look like and how it might behave. And what I wanted it to achieve is to have like a fluent API. And by fluent API, I mean um, remember jQuery, uh, where you can, uh, where you could infinitely chain methods uh, one after the other. Uh, so something like this. And I could do this like by returning this, the instance that we're currently running on. And I could do this with different um, methods that uh, we could do. But in Vest, we have like I don't know a few dozen uh, rules that we can match. For example, is a number and longer than or shorter than or greater than and less than and is none and is undefined and many, many others. And you can also extend them. And I thought, well, to make this happen, all these functions have to either be on the prototype of Enforce or either be extended onto the prototype or be declared inside the body of the function to have the closure so that I can take the value being enforced and pass it on to these functions uh, being chained. And to do that, it would either be really ugly, really cumbersome, or really not support other types of extensions because I have other types of APIs like lazy assertions in Enforce. And 
In the show notes, there are a few examples of how it's actually look, uh, how it actually looks like, uh, and there is even a talk that I gave that shows that we can build and force together, like um, step by step. And that's when I started looking: how can I achieve this infinitely chainable API um, without using that instance method and without having everything inside of the closure and without um, like lazily running every on top of all the functions? And what I came up with was, well, JavaScript proxy. I saw the API for a proxy and I started looking into it and I said, well, all, of, all that Enforce has to return, like Enforce 1 has to return, is a proxy that has some relationship with all these functions that I have, all these rules that I have, like is number, is array, and the rest. And when each of, one of these functions is being accessed, now, they do not uh, exist on the proxy itself, but when it detects I'm trying to access one of these functions, it will immediately create this function wrapped with a value that um, the user supplied and behave as if it was there to begin with. Okay, so you have the, the proxy that it, it knows about all of the other functions that could be returned as a part of the, the Fluent API, mm-hmm. right? But, it, but it's not a part of its formal interface, right? Right. So... Are, are you is I forget is is Vest in TypeScript? Vest is written in TypeScript. Yes, it's written. Okay, so it's interesting. So how does how does the as far as the typing system is concerned, how does it know to discover the rest of the interface if it's not baked into the object itself? Uh, that was a hell of a process to make TypeScript actually <laughs> aware of that. <laughs> if we have a term, I don't know if we have it, but if we have a term called generic hell, um, then this is the generic hell. Um, okay. Yeah, it's a generic inside of a generic inside of a generic. And when you add the extensions and custom extensions users can add to Vest, um, then it gets even wonkier. Um, so this is not a typical use case because this is really exposed to the user, uh, to the user, and they can have like many types of functions that can return many types of functions. Um, but it still works, and I'm proud of it really uh, for getting <laughs> getting to it. <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah, that that sounds like that would be a. Quite the ball of wax to, to to be able to get into. Yeah, I think I think I'll share in the show notes also the code pointer to this generic because it's really interesting how it works. That's awesome. Are you building a web application? Need to deliver it soon and don't have the people to do it? Maybe you're not sure your company has the skill set or experience to do it, and maybe we can help. I'm your host Ward Bell, and my day job is building applications for companies like yours. I don't do it alone. I'm president of IdeaBlade, a consultancy that specializes in enterprise web application development. We're particularly strong in Angular, RxJS, NGRx Redux on the front end, and .NET and Microsoft technologies on the server. We're a small, tight-knit group of people handpicked by me for their expertise, experience, integrity, and team spirit. Maybe we can help you with architectural guidance and hands-on development. And if there's something we don't know, and in our field, really, there's too much to know, we can draw on our personal connections in the Microsoft RD, MVP, and Google GDE networks, as well as our international circle of really great developers, people we know and trust personally. If you've got a project that's keeping you up at night, shoot us an email at info at ideablade.com. That's info at ideablade.com. And now back to the show. Cool. Well, I, man, it, it seems like one of those things to where you might not need it every day, but when there's a situation that arises, it could be really valuable. 
Where have you seen these used in other libraries? Uh, yeah, so apart from Vest and Enforce, uh, spelled N4S, by the way, um, <laughs> I've seen it, yeah, um, Enforce was taken on NPM. So I've seen it in other libraries. I mentioned Vue.js that uses it, uses it for their reactivity. And what they do is they give you their reactive API, um, the reactive function that gives you back a proxy. And then they track every change you make to that object. And then they know uh, on the fly to actually update the components that uh, need to be re-rendered. And Mobix, the state management library, does the same um, as well. And the creator of Mobix, uh, Michelle Westrate, um, also created another popular library. It's called Emer. It's an immutability helper uh, that is pretty, pretty cool. Um, I've mostly seen it used in Redux applications or in Redux reducers uh, to prevent all the, he called it, I think, he called it spread hell, um, many types of hell today. Um, but basically, to, to, to retain uh, or maintain uh, immutability in your Redux um, reducers, you would have to spread and spread and spread. Um, so nothing. So uh, you always have to return the, uh, a new version of the state. And what Michelle did in Emer is basically gave you um, a function called produce that you use inside of your reducer. And what it does is basically listens to every change you make to an object it gives you. So it gives you a proxy object that looks and feels like just like your uh, original state object. And when you make changes to it, like you set values, uh, remove values, you iterate and do stuff, um, it listens to these changes from the proxy and applies them to a new object um, with a minimal set of changes that are required uh, for the new state to really exist. And then you don't break Redux and it's really easy to read and understand. Interesting. That's cool. Mm-hmm. You know, it's, it's funny, I don't know if funny is the right word, but how these different problems are solved in different ways depending on the type of development that you're doing. Like uh, this similar sort of pattern is really familiar to me from the object-oriented sort of world where you know you'd have a base class and then you would inherit from that and you'd add in a bunch of stuff if you want to do logging or anytime you're accessing a property or whatever and do that but since we're in more of a functional world like you have to sidestep all of these different ways in order to add that pluggability cap- capability mm-hmm. into your implementation yeah definitely okay and this is also one of the problems we have with proxies um i mean because this is not the actual instance, and this is not the actual object that you're working with. It does not have to. It does not have any access to the internal clo- closure of these functions, or it does not have any access to private methods on that object. I mean, it cannot do any of those. Uh, so you can only pick, but you cannot. You cannot touch what's inside. Okay. Now, one of the things you said at the beginning was that there was a certain element of was it randomness to it. Like wh- where where does that come into things? So maybe the word random um, was was a bit um, was a bit too strong. But what I tried to say is that what we have or what proxies allow is 
changing or modifying random access to objects. So I can do that to any property on the object, not like every ran or like randomly every every property on the object, but random access to properties um, without actually having them being declared one by one. And this is the main distinction from getters and setters. Like you could set getters and setters that would also allow you to. Um, modify the behavior of some properties with custom uh, custom behavior, but you would have to declare them specifically. Like right. I want to I wanna declare the name getter and then I could set a function to uh, operate on the name getter. But with proxies, I can say, yeah, um, just trap every property access. And inside of that handler, I can check, well, if it's name, let's do this. And if it's something else, well, just log to the server. Or you can also say if they're trying to access the password property, well, throw an error and do not return anything. Hmm. Interesting. That's really cool. Yeah. So you mentioned Vue. I'm curious, like once you start dealing with large sets of, of objects, you know, maybe you have a really complex UI, or maybe you're, you're using these in something that um, just has a bunch of data points or, or data objects that you're using. I mean, at what point do you start thinking about performance? I think you should start thinking of performance like from the get-go um, because you're adding some complexity to your code, to your application. And this is something that is really hard um, to keep track, track of and development is, is not as easy and intuitive with proxies. I mean, you get to some sort of inception um, of objects <laughs> when you work with proxies. And I've been there, especially if you have a proxy that returns another proxy, uh, which I oh, do no. and many others do, really, <laughs> yes. Um, uh, so you get to a proxy inception and debugging this is going to be really difficult. So I wouldn't worry much about the performance uh, as in memory consumption, even though it does add some, uh, I would more uh, be concerned about readability and, and the, uh, the actual um, maintenance of the code, which is going to be way harder. And that's why it's usually used by libraries. Right, yeah. Well, look, anytime you add a layer of indirection, that you know, makes the complexity yeah. harder. So what's the day in the life for you when you're debugging something? Like, let's let's take it at the, the most extreme example. You have something where you have nested proxies. Like, I would imagine it's not just as easy as setting a breaking point, breakpoint and walking through the code. Uh, it is as easy as setting a breakpoint, um, but when you go down to that breakpoint and go to the function it calls and you suddenly find yourself back in that breakpoint, um, then you realize <laughs> um, you're in a deep mess. Um, so yeah, um, it, it takes a lot of like writing it on a, on a whiteboard and trying to break out what you've done um, because it, it, it can get really complicated. I mean, it's not that terrible. It, it, eventually, it's just code and, and you can find out what it's doing. But sometimes it, it becomes like a big maze of a proxy calling another proxy that calls another proxy. Um, and you can't find uh, which level deep you are. So do you, do you find that like doing anything like um, having a proxy generate its own ID is helpful so you can tell one from the next as you're going through things? Like, is that... A thing, or um, I'm not sure if they. I mean, generating an ID or a depth level or something. It could be interesting, but then it means that it would also be um, available to the consumer that's actually using it. Now, 
in my in my application it doesn't matter much because um, I return a bunch of functions, but in places like a state management library, um, that would probably not be a good idea to add properties to the object that and that's holding it. Cool. So, I, who else comes to mind when you think of people who are using this kind of extensively? Yeah. So. One cool library that I think is doing a really, really creative usage of uh, proxies is PartyTown um, by Builder.io, the same company company that builds Quick, um, the new um, the new UI framework. And what they do is like a completely different story. Um, and PartyTown is a library for those who don't know um, that allows you to entrap third-party scripts inside a web worker and have them live there, so they don't. Um, take any of the performance of your main thread. They do not have access to the DOM, and they do not have. They do not do anything um, on the main thread. And this is going to make your site way, way faster. Uh, but the problem with this is that these third-party scripts, like the trackers and ads, um, and and all these that report to the server um, and analytics, um, what they do sometimes need access to the DOM. And like they do need the page title and they need the um, some elements from the DOM and they don't have access to it if they run from a worker. And what um, the genius people at PartyTown at Builder.io did, they're really genius. It's like next level genius. Um, but what they did is they, inside the worker, created a proxy object that behaves and acts like the DOM. So... Yeah, yeah, whatever you need, I'm the DOM. Uh, and when these scripts try to access the DOM, what uh, their proxy does is it forwards the request to the main thread where they have their own script over there. And then they make the request, ask whatever element they did try to, uh, to contact or did try to access. They get the result back, send it back to the script uh, in the worker, and like nothing really happened. Like they're on the main thread. So, so it's using the messaging API to go from the worker to the main thread. It gets what it needs from the DOM and then sends it back to the worker. And then the calling object knows no difference. And this is really an interesting one because the uh, messaging object, uh, the message, uh, the messaging um, protocol is is async, um, but these uh, property access are uh, synchronous. So what they do there, <laughs> yeah, they, this is another level. I, I asked the people there. Uh, I talked to them last week. Um, what they do is they actually use synchronous um, XML HTTP request uh, to mimic that behavior of uh, a synchronous async beha- async request, and they pass it sync. Uh, they block the script on the worker, and they pass it all the way to the DOM, and the worker waits, and when it gets back, um, it resolves. It's like again, next level genius. This isn't your implementation, so this might even be a fair question. So. Um, What's happening is they're, they're using XML HTTP, which is essentially an AJAX request to call out to what? Because when you have the worker and you have the, the host process, that's working within the same context, right? So is, is that XML HTTP request just to block processing while it's waiting for a response? Is that its whole purpose? Yeah, so if I understand the implementation correctly, and hopefully I don't mess it up, but <laughs> they use this combination with a service worker. So they send the request, an, a, a synchronous XML HTTP request, an AJAX request, uh, to the worker, to the service worker, which then reroutes it um, to the DOM and then goes back and returns it um, to the proxy. So yeah. That's fascinating. 
Wow. Yeah. Yes. That is, that is very, very clever. <laughs> I, I look at the code. It's like, wow. So uh, th- like you said at the top of the show, like this is not something that you learn in your JavaScript, you know, one-on-one class or your, your, mm-hmm. your first exposure to JavaScript. So at what point should people be thinking, okay, well, maybe I, I would start using this or, or it's a good time for me to kind of bring this into my code base? I'll start with uh, when to use it, but I'll also continue with uh, when to not use it. And okay. this is because I don't think there are many use cases that are actually good for using proxies in your application development process. Um, these are mostly for metaprogramming and they add a lot of indirection and many complexities to the code that I don't think it's usually worth it, especially um, because mostly when building your application, you know ahead of time uh, what your values and properties on the object are, so you don't really have uh, need this um, uh, this level of control. But I would use it like in migration periods of the code base. So, for example, I want to refactor, and I'm not sure who is using what object, and maybe I want to get rid of something, but maybe it's still being used by a legacy piece of code. So I'll just add a proxy on top of it and and make sure and log every access to it. It's also I asked on Twitter. Dan Shapir from the JavaScript Jabber podcast, he replied that he used it, he used it once for debugging for a similar reason to know when, uh, what uh, and who calls an object. But these aren't the real um, reasons I would use it. Maybe to harden and log some access to an object, but other than that, probably not use it. And the reason is, well, it does add a lot of complexities to your code. You cannot... Uh, inspect internal properties to an ob- of the object. So, if somebody does try to do something interesting, um, it may not work correctly. Uh, they do not have the same identity. So, if your code has some, I don't know, if that object, like object comparison, wouldn't work on that. So, if you try to access it from different locations of the code, um, and mostly when working on an app, you don't get many use cases for it. I think. Right. Cool. Okay. Awesome. Well, this has been a ton of fun. Um, I, like we do in most shows, we'll kind of land the plane here with some final thoughts. And 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 the thing that I wanted to to pull out was this technique, this approach, isn't something necessarily that you would do every single day, just like Eviatar is telling us. But learning about what's possible and learning about different uh, approaches and different techniques, and even like we're talking about uh, the the architecture in Party Town, all of these things kind of come together in order to help you build different mental models. And that to me is like, one of the best things about learning new concepts. So it might be something that you do every day, but it certainly can help you solve more and different problems as we go forward. So Evitar, what, what, what would you want to leave listeners with? Yeah, so by the way, definitely I agree with that. And also because proxies are relatively new uh, or at least relatively newly supported like in all major browsers, maybe people will come up with interesting uses for it that we haven't discovered yet. So um, I'm really looking forward to see how it's being used in the future. And last time on the pod, I mentioned that I'm going to work on or rebuild my emoji picker component that um, people suffered from. (laughs) Yeah, it was your question, I think, uh, Craig. Um, uh, People suffered from, uh, they had like many performance issues and stuff like that. And I rebuilt it completely from scratch. 
um, did some really cool stuff, I think, like emoji filtering only in CSS, no JavaScript <laughs> inside. It. So yeah, yeah, um, really, really improved the performance of it. Um, so this is the one, uh, I keep my promises. Uh, and the second one, um, we're heading, well, we're, we're nearing uh, New Year's and I don't know if the episode will come out by then, but um, this is a good time uh, to talk about New Year's resolutions. And last year, my New Year's resolution was to go on uh, conferences or get to a conference and uh, abroad and, and talk on a stage. And this is something I haven't done before. Uh, and this year I got and went to four different conferences abroad, which was awesome and was uh, fun. And yeah, and, and at least for me, uh, a New Year's resolution is a really good motivator uh, for doing stuff uh, that are important to me. And well, it's time to do yours. That's awesome. Yes. Yeah. So that's a good reminder for me. I actually have to uh, figure out what I'm going to commit to for the next year. I just want to say thank you to you, our listeners, for for joining us here every week. It just means the world to us that uh, we create these and you show up and listen and participate. Um, I want to say thank you to Idea Blade, Ionic, Narwhal, and AG Grid. Without their support, we wouldn't be able to bring you this content. And uh, with that, I hope to uh, be able to connect with you again next week here on WebRush. Rush.